Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. I'm just going to hit record because you just never know when gold comes out of the Rogan mouth. That's what I'm saying, bro. It's all about gold. Here we are, Iron Paradise. That's what The Rock calls his gym. Iron Paradise. This is... This is... This is... This is Sorenex's creation. Yeah, this is amazing. It's pretty dope, right? I love bird stuff. Yeah, and, it's great. And just like the most like humble, happy... Nicest guy ever. Yeah. Yeah, and so knowledgeable. You know, he knows so much about fitness and, you know, exercise, and his equipment is so good. He might be doing it right by the fact of... When he wants to get out of the game, he just shaves that beard. Oh, no yeah. one will know who he is, dude. Oh, yeah. You know, we were uh, looking yesterday at Groucho Marx uh, on the podcast. Did you know that Groucho Marx back in the old days used to paint his eyebrows and paint his mustache? Like, that wasn't real. <laughs> really? Yeah, he had these big, crazy, fat eyebrows and big, crazy, fat mustache. But we were looking at, like, high-resolution photographs. And we're like, Jesus Christ, it's painted on. <laughs> like, he didn't really have a mustache. It was a big, crazy, like, strip of, of makeup on his upper lip. So if he wanted to, he just cleans his mustache off, cleans his eyebrows off, and Dude. slides in under the radar. What's your go-to? What's your play? I don't have one. When you're ready to I need back. one. <laughs> I need one. Dorks, like, there's, there's certain people that will recognize me with a mask on, with sunglasses on, with a hat on. I'm like, Jesus well, dude, it looks like a like a chimp walking in the room. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. You have to cover your hands. Because as soon as someone sees those big-ass freaking gorilla grippers, they know it's you. Because your fingers are, like, literally bigger than bratwurst. Got sausage fingers. <laughs> you do. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll lose weight. Maybe I'll become a, a runner. Maybe an alien will come down and... Pound on you, get mm. get after it, and implant you with something that makes you look I don't different. Think it works that way. <laughs> get after it. Yeah. Like aliens just come down and haunt people. <laughs> yeah, maybe they will try to come in and get some of that freaking monkey blood. Speaking of alien, how about that Peter Atia guy? <laughs> a little too smart. A little too smart for his own good. Well, uh, yeah, I try to keep it super simple, and when. <laughs> When he tries to ask me all the analytics to archery, I just have to to really keep it simple. He's like, "Let me video this and talk," and then he'll start saying, "You know, I wonder if the you know the molygamous tendon in the wrist is like <laughs> okay, slow down." Yeah, I t- I mean, I made him. I, he's he is serious. I made him shoot ten thousand arrows. I told him if I see you change anything for ten for. Any sooner than 10,000 arrows, I'm done. What does he change? Um, I think he's a placebo chaser. You know, I don't think he thinks it's a placebo, but he just, he tries different things to be better. He's so, mm. like, he's so focused on just being awesome in archery, but then he sees stuff happening. Like, when you left yesterday, he freaking started shooting groups to where I, I seriously said, what do you feel when other people are around you and you shoot? And I said, did you feel like nervous at all? And he's like, no. And I said, well, did you feel anxious about, you know, shooting different than someone else? And he swears he didn't, but he like clearly just 
the wheels came off when mm. he was shooting with both of us. He just couldn't get it all together. But I know he shoots better than that. But by Anxiety is real. I think it's really good for people to shoot when people are watching them because that will mirror what it's like if you have to actually shoot an animal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Not quite as much. Yeah. But there's a, a, a tight, at least a, a taste of it. You know, yeah. You I think acclimation in any type of sport or, you know, especially, especially sports where you can't have any nerves, you know, some you need a pump. Like right. in skydiving, if you're jacked, you're just going to freaking bail off the back of that sucker and get after it. Right. Yeah. You know, you kind of need to just ah, go. Yeah. In, in but, fighting, you need to stay calm while you're also jacked. Like, but you have to move quickly. And I think uh, sometimes uh, some fighters have a, a hard time with archery staying calm in the moment. Because when they're used to having adrenaline, they're used to being able to move very quickly, like quick movements, like at a drop of a hat, you know, be able to move quickly to the side. And I think, you know, like when you're drawn down on an animal, everything has to, everything has to really calm down. And a lot of fighters have a hard time making that transition. I've never really put, put those two together. I mean, maybe that's why Jim Miller, you know, double clutches arrows <laughs> through my door and stuff. Maybe it's because I'm like trying to zen him down and what he really wants to do is just leg kick somebody. He's a beast, you know? I mean, Jim Miller's used to going full throttle. I didn't get to see his last fight. I was out of town and it was in like a no pay-per-view type area. We could watch it right now. <laughs> I'm sure we could. <laughs> I don't know why the TV's on. Uh, who, who put the TV? My, my daughter's coming here and watch YouTube. And well, yeah, TV it's, an, it's a f- hundred inch TV screen. Well, you know what they watch? Well, my youngest daughter, she watches other people play video games. We talked about this. So bizarre. Yeah. They, there's like a huge amount of viewers, like millions like and millions way, and millions of people. Bigger than huge. It's a, yeah. it's a bigger, yeah, we need a More bigger than word. Watch my podcast. <laughs> there's these girls who watch video games and they talk while they're playing video games and, and kids love it. So strange. Do they're, they? Ha- they're funny though. They're funny people. Like they f- say funny shit while they're going. Yeah, it'd be fun to. Yeah, it would be cool to have you. It, to hear you, like if you're playing Doom or something, you talk you, shit. You, it would just be a lot of f words <laughs> and a lot and a lot of fuck shit. God damn it! <laughs> when was the last time you played? I had to stop playing. Because um, that was like. Two more than a year ago. More than a year ago. Two years ago, yeah. you kind of got that. You got that big gaming thing, and I was like, "Whoa, not good." Yeah, <laughs> I got. I got us a protein bar if you want one. I got that uh, set up at my studio for um, Quake, um, uh, and we set up those uh, computers in a local area network. It's just too tempting. It's too too fun. We would get together after the show. Me and Jamie and Jeff would get together and we would play for fucking four, th- five hours. And I was like, I don't have that kind of time. Yeah, I can't do this. And yeah. then I had to go cold turkey. I go, we have to stop. I yeah. can't play this because you could play pool, and but you could play pool for a few hours and stop, and then you're done. But video games are especially those kind of video games. They're so engrossing, and you get so much adrenaline out of them. I can't stop. <laughs> Would you play pool way longer if you were playing with someone that was, like, beating you? Uh, yeah, well, if someone's really good, like my friend Tommy. Have you ever met my friend Tommy from New Jersey? Or from uh, Connecticut, rather? Uh-uh. He's really good. I've known him for 30 years, easily. more, Maybe maybe 31 years. I've known him forever. But he's, he's real good. Like, he, uh, if there was a real 
living and playing as a professional pool player like mm-hmm. there is with golf, he would 100% be a professional. He's really good. And he and I, when I get together with him in New York, we play for hours and hours yeah. and hours and hours. And he's definitely better than me. But, we, you know, we've been playing forever since we were kids. Do you like watching or do you? Or oh, yeah. is it a competitive thing, too? Well, it's very competitive, too. I mean, I, I'm definitely trying to win. He wins more games than I do. But we... Uh, we just uh, we have fun together too, you know, because we both love the game. But I do love watching pool. Like I I watch pool on YouTube all the time. Like YouTube has like been the, the greatest thing ever for pool, because you can literally watch matches all the way back from the 1970s and 80s and oh. even the 50s and 60s. They're all available on YouTube. Whereas before, if you used to want to watch pool on TV, I used to have to set the DVR. I used to search like for 2 billions. A.M. Yeah, it was never on. <laughs> it would like be a case, and, and I would get so mad if it was like trick shots. I'd be like, oh, what is this crap? Because trick shots are stupid. Yeah. Because like people, you set up a shot. Check, no, okay, but shit about that that's like so stupid because uh that's not real you know setting up a shot a trick shot is like it's not even like target archery like target archery is still exciting yeah because you know there's like a lot of uh, there's a lot of pressure yeah and you know you're looking at someone shooting at an x and it's you know oh he got a 10 it's exciting yeah there's nothing exciting about trick shots they're stupid like someone sets it up and, well, here I'm going to do this and the ball goes round and it knocks the other ball in and everybody doesn't play pool goes yay <laughs> but people who play pool go I don't care about that play a game I want to see you maneuver the ball around the table I want to see you solve problems I want to see you make difficult shots I want to see you get out I want to see you get the cheese that's the nine ball you make the nine ball that's the cheese that's okay. where the money is have you ever watched any of the, the the old greats and wondered what they would be like against the new people? Are there some from the past that you think would definitely be the best ever if they were current? Well, there's not a lot of difference between the great pool players of, like, say, like the 70s and 80s versus today. Today, they have the advantage of being able to watch the greats of old, though. Like, mm-hmm. you can learn a lot. Like, if I watch, like... See, a guy like uh, Buddy Hall, the rifleman, was like one of the all-time greats. And if you watch him play, you'll, he, he plays like he has really good cue ball control, and you watch him, his patterns on the pool table. You go, oh, I see why he did it that way. And then you can listen to him do commentary, too, on some matches. Oh, and so cool. he'll decide, he'll tell you why he would decide to make this choice versus that choice, why he would knock that ball in and go two rails to get position. That way it's easier to get position on the next ball. Like, they talk about these things. You would think mentally some of the really good pool players would be awesome archers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because same thing, like, being able to stay calm. the storm. Yeah. yeah. When that, when, you know, like, sometimes they're making one shot, and it's for $100,000. Like, say it's 10 to 10 in a race to 11, and they're on the nine ball. And if they, loo- if they hang the nine ball up, they lose. Yeah. That's it. This is, it, everything's on the line. It's one shot. And when you see that, it's, it's probably as similar as it gets to archery. Is that why you think you were so drawn to it? <sighs> to archery? Yeah. Cool. No. Yeah, I think archery, like, was it the zen aspect, or was it just the the awesomeness of bow hunting well it's just even just the even if i never went bow hunting again i would still love archery i love shooting targets it gets uh when i'm when i'm at full draw and i'm going through my shot process and i'm watching my bubble and i'm centering my peep sight and and i'm pulling through my shot that's like nothing else exists nothing else exists and when that shot breaks 
and you see that arrow thump, go right exactly where you wanted it to hit, it's one of the most satisfying things. It's just fun. It's yeah, just there's, great. there's like three things like body behaviors that I've seen you do. One is um, you always, you love doing your jabs just out of random. You'll all of a sudden be visualizing like fighting in some aspect. I've seen you like kind of do some like pool cue stuff and then you do archery stuff. <laughs> but usually like when you're at the UFC, you'll turn around and like do yeah. the archery gesture. <laughs> you know, That's and then just when, to you. But then when we're doing archery and you're walking back, you're doing jabs. <laughs> well, I just try. I just think like this way I loosen my brain up. I think I just think of things. I think of movements. How long do you sleep? Uh, it depends. I try to sleep eight hours a night. But I don't always. But I always sleep at least six. Is it, it dependent on comedy? Dependent upon um, how busy I am. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm just, uh, I've got too much on my mind. I have a hard time falling asleep. Sometimes I have a hard time going to bed. You know, everybody else is in bed. That's when I get my work done. I, yeah, I've always known that about you. Yeah. Because, well, not so much now. We, I think we... We had random communication more when you were in California because you would shoot me a random text about the time you were about ready to go to bed and, and, you that, and I was waking up because <laughs> it would always be like you would yeah around one thirty or something, especially when you were at the store a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because we, we both have these different cycles of our life. Like once hunting season is over, I honestly just like go into a cave and just try to eat and like lift again and you know, my archery kind of slows way down. And I just try to, I just try to like rebuild like an elk wood after rut. Mm. And then you come home and then I can tell you start, you're at the store a lot more through the winter and you, you really start writing. Yeah. You know, and that's like, it seems like that's kind of part of your cycle. You get, really get writing hard. And then normally, normally about this time of the year, you're really getting after in the gym. Yeah. Cause you got the vacations, you got that beach bod you got to show off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, having this gym has been amazing. When, when Bert installed this gym, I mean, I, it, it really like upped my fitness because it's, first of all, it's the first time I've ever had a gym that's, that's this big in my house. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's got everything I could ever use. I mean, it's like if I went to a hotel and had a gym like this, I'd be like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's a rarity. Yeah. Every now and then, though, you do get like a real gym in a hotel. That Vegas one, the Vegas one we went to that yeah, time yeah, yeah. where we met those dudes. Yeah, I think that's at Mandalay Bay. That was a legit gym. Yeah, that's some. Um, Vegas don't mess around with gyms, though. They do. It's Well, you know what, what place has a really good one is uh, the Win Encore. Maybe that's where we went. Maybe that was it. Maybe it was the win. Maybe. So well, it's been a couple of them. We've been to a couple was that, of them. That was the last place we went. Yeah. I know that. That one's great. That's a great gym. That's it's when life gym. was normal, bro. That was the... Remember that? That was yes. one month, like pretty much one month before COVID. Before the Rona. <laughs> Isn't it funny the different, like some people's reaction to it? Some people are terrified of COVID and some people couldn't care less. Yep. Like that's one of the more interesting things about Texas versus California in California, you would assume there was demons running through the street, <laughs> just infecting people and and and, and stealing people. I think um, San Diego is, I think, on pace with the rest of the world, though. San Diego, when we were there 
two weeks ago. And granted, it was two weeks ago, but they were pretty pretty chill. Like San Diego's different. Yeah, San Diego is like uh, it's more conservative, um, more military, more a lot of active people, a lot of healthy people. And uh, they just, they don't think about it the same way. They don't, they're, they're not regular California. I'm, that's my favorite part of California. Yeah, Diego. you've told me that f- from I love the beginning. It. It's like, there's enough people. There's a lot of people down there, but there's not too many. Yeah. It's not like LA. You know, all the traffic to get down there is like LA. <laughs> but then once you get there, San Diego is uh, a much more manageable city. Yeah, it's super awesome. And I like the fact that there's all those military people there and martial arts people there. It's like, those are my folks. Yeah. You know, um, when I was there, uh, Dean Lister, love Dean Lister, got smoked by a car. (gasps) You were there when that happened? (laughs) He walked in. Yeah. He walked up to the, to the podcast with Jocko and I did a Jocko podcast and he came in like, I think it was the day after he walked in. He was, dude, he was messed up. Yeah. He, he's in the hospital right now. Did he go back? Yeah. He's got a, a, a busted spleen. Like his spleen is destroyed. Yeah, like he, he's taking. He's posting all these photos from he, the hospital on his Instagram. Oh, I didn't know he went back. He he came in and he was talking about it. And he was he was like, you know, he looked twisted. Like he looked twisted, and he was you know he's bruised up and stuff. Has he talked about the story? He kind of told us that. Um, all he remembers, he said he remembers like flying. And then he remembers getting up there, but he said the only two things that he can remember, like visually, he said was an El Camino. And he said that for whatever reason, when he got hit, he said he remembered the, like he heard the theme song to Law and Order, like that thing. Oh, oh. So he's like, he's like, that's all I know about what happened. You know, once he got hit. Was he walking across the street or something? Like, what happened? He said he was on the side of the road, and he said that El Camino, like, freaking popped up. The, you know, he just said he heard something, like, pop up a curb, and then just boom. Oh, God. He's such a gorilla. If that hit anybody else, they'd probably be dead. Yeah. That guy's he, a brick shithouse. He's huge. You have definitely, like, a fighter. You've got more of a punching bag body. You're just, like, <laughs> he, you're just, like, so dense. But when you look at him, you're like, oh, that guy... Every gene in his body is made to, like, fight. Well, he's been... It doesn't uh, look like his head can come off his body. Right. It's all... His neck is part of his shoulders. His freaking hands are way too big. He's huge. He's a huge guy. And he was... uh, He was an elite grappler uh, before he ever became an MMA fighter. And then he fought in the UFC for a little bit. But he... I remember watching him compete in Brazil in 2003 in uh, Abu Dhabi. I mean, he's, he's elite. He was, he was like, he's the reason, Dean Lester is the reason why leg locks became a huge thing in competitive grappling. Because, like, for a long time, leg locks were frowned upon. Like, for whatever reason. Because a lot of times people practice them, they get injured, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you're trying to put me in a heel hook and I don't tap out, it could rip my knee apart and then I have to go through surgery. So, for a long time... When you would go to a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournament, if somebody tried to do a heel hook, people would boo. Like, even though leg locks were illegal, they were frowned upon. But in no-gi competition, a lot of people started using them, and Dean Lister started tapping out, like, elite black belts with it. And Dean Lister had a combina- uh, conversation with John Donaher. John Donaher is, like, probably the most respected Jiu-Jitsu instructor in the world right now. And then when they were talking, they were talking about uh, leg locks, and Dean Lister said to John Donaher, why would you ignore 50% of the body? 
I remember that podcast. Yeah, well, and that, I, and it I, changed a lot of people's perception. They went, oh, yeah. Because he's got a bunch of brand new guys that he's teaching, right, that are within a matter of a few years are just like... Donaher, yeah. On like a... Ma- like a freaking awesome level just well quick, there's quick. one one guy in particular well he's got a few guys for sure but one guy in particular gordon ryan, gordon ryan is uh widely recognized as the best no-gi grappler of all time he's beaten every he's won the last 39 matches in a row oh he doesn't just beat guys he writes down on a piece of paper how he's going to tap them and hands it to the, co- the to the commentator and then goes through the match, taps him, and then the commentator opens it up and shows a triangle because that's how he got. So he like he's taking elite grapplers and choosing how he's going to tap them out, and he's doing it before the match. It's crazy. I mean that that's just unprecedented. Is he watching them enough, studying them en- enough to know where their weakness is, and that's what he's going to no. find? You no, think? he can do whatever the fuck he wants to you. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> he's just choosing. He's choosing whether he's going to get you in an armbar or a kimura, or he's going to take your back and, and strangle you, whatever it is. But John Donaher is—he's uh, a legitimate genius. Like you talk, he's an evil genius. Like he, he looks like he even looks like an evil genius. Like with his shaved head and his his smile and his New Zealand accent, he's a really fascinating guy because he was a philosophy uh, PhD and um, just an incredibly smart person and got obsessed with jujitsu and then started teaching jujitsu. But but teaches jujitsu from a perspective of like a person who is running an army teaching the best soldiers how to go to war like that like he's dead serious like there's a hundred percent dedication and this incredible mind that he's applied to jujitsu as opposed to a lot of people that are coaching are just kind of athletes and they really love the game and they're really interested in it. With John, it's like life or death. It's he's he's so unusual. Sounds like Barclow when it comes to like survival stuff. <laughs> yes. Cause he's like, he doesn't really joke around about it. When you ask him that subject, it's, it's a very black or white answer. And you know, it's like very, very deliberate and he means what he says and he, and he, he you know, he's not wishy washy about it. Yeah. People that are really dedicated to their thing. They're really obsessed with their thing. They're fascinating to me. They're my favorite kind of people because there's something amazing about that. When, when people are really, really into something, it just, it's uh, it's contagious, you yeah. know. Whatever it is, whether it's uh, archery or whether it's a martial arts thing, or with Barclos' case, whether it's crafting the best gear for for survival and for you know cold weather or whatever you're doing, just people that get obsessed with things. That's that's the sweet spot for me because it's um, it 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 feeds on to me. Like I I, I start thinking the way they're thinking. Yeah, the people that you've had on JRE, uh, I mean, I'm surprised you get any sleep because you get jacked up. You have the coolest people on. So every day you have, you pretty much have someone giving you motivation of like, like you said, that passion of just being like relentless to whatever it is that they're in. Yeah. You have that from someone new every single day. Pretty much. Yeah. At least a couple of days a week. I mean, some, some of them are relaxed. Yeah. political or some of them are comics they're just funny you know (laughs) and you know it's it's just different it's um it's i'm i feel so lucky dude i I really do i I don't take it for granted at all i think about it all the time like it's such a crazy job and that the fact that 
it really just uh, kind of came out of nowhere. Like, I don't, I don't even understand how it happened. Yeah. I just started doing these uh, podcasts and having these conversations with people, and it just kept happening. Yeah. And then next thing you know, it's like 1,700 podcasts later. <laughs> it's, you know, and literally billions and billions of downloads. It's yeah. like, holy shit, what happened? How did this happen? And I don't even understand it. I just keep doing it. And you get to pick and choose. Now, yeah. you're, now you're like going through the going through the grocery store, just deciding what you think everybody wants to feed on for subject matter, too. Well, I just I just go with what's interesting to me. Yeah, that's that's basically what I do. I just look at stuff and I go, oh, that's interesting to me. Let me do that. When do you go down your rabbit holes? Because you have to go down some of the stuff that you find. Yeah, I mean, you go deep down the rabbit holes. When do you do, you do that at night? When everybody's I just, whenever down? I do it, whenever like sometimes someone will send me something in the middle of the day, like, dude, you got to check this video out. And I go, wow, what is that? And then I'll, <laughs> <laughs> next thing you know, I'm like, wow, is that real? How's that happen? What causes that? And then you know, and then you're looking into it, you know. Uh, and then sometimes it's actually on the podcast. Like you'll hear us go down a rabbit hole in the moment, you know, like. Uh, my friend Colian Noir was on the other night. Uh, he's a he's a lawyer and a gun nut and a really interesting guy, Re- su- super smart guy and like one of the best guys in terms of like defending the Second Amendment and explaining why uh, the Second Amendment is so important. And we were talking about the homeless situation in Los Angeles, and uh, out of nowhere, you know, while we're talking about this, he brings up funding for the homeless. He's like, "Do you know how much money is spent on funding the homeless?" And I go, "No." And so it's hundreds of millions of dollars in Los Angeles alone. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And then he goes, there's no incentive to stop the homeless problem. He goes, the incentive is to raise the amount of money that's available to the homeless and to keep doing it. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And so yeah. then we go out down this rabbit hole about funding for the homeless. And it turns out the homeless situation gets worse every year and mm-hmm. every year more and more money gets allocated towards solving the homeless problem and they never solve it. It's it just hel- keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's and he's like, Some- it. no, he goes, someone's siphoning money. He oh. goes, they're siphoning money off of this. I'm like, what? And so then we went down this rabbit hole of like trying to figure out, he said someone in San Francisco explained it to him. Some guy that he was interviewing in San Francisco, they were talking about the homeless problem. He goes, they, they don't want to solve this problem. He's like, there's money in this problem. Yeah. So that money is not all going to homeless people. They're not saying, hey, all you homeless people, here's free money. No, that money is going to administration costs, to salaries, and to people that are somehow or another working, yeah. air quotes, to solve the homeless problem. And they don't do shit. <laughs> Nothing gets solved. And in like that moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm so naive. Because all this time, I thought that the homeless problem was just, ah, well, there's no money. There's no money to solve the homeless problem. If you had told me that Los Angeles had, they spent like $400 million last year on the homeless, I'd be like, no way. Where, they would have put those people up in a hotel. Yeah. $400 million. They would have just got uh, beautiful places for them to live and then we'd no homeless problem anymore. Yeah, you no. could have bought a bunch of Motel 6s. Yeah, and just exactly. Yeah, that's not the case. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's a really complicated problem. So like those kind of rabbit holes, sometimes they'll happen on the show. Like in the middle of the show, we're like, what? Austin's got some... Got a lot of homeless people. Yeah, they've got some issues underneath that bridge. They have a solution in place, though. They're trying to uh, to house these people, and they they have this uh, mandate to house uh, veterans first. And so, I actually had a conversation with the mayor about it. I had dinner with the mayor. 
you know, because I'm uh, trying to open up a comedy club out here. Yeah. Trying to grease some palms, make some friends. <laughs> and a nice guy, really nice guy, uh, even though, like, a lot of people shit on him. Uh, I actually enjoyed talking to him. It's, it's hard when you, when you see someone on television, and whether they're the mayor or the governor or whatever the political position they're in, you just look at them, look at that asshole. He's screwing up this city. You know, and then you talk to some one of those people and you go, oh, you got like an impossible situation yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you fix this problem? <laughs> and that's his number one problem with this city is the homeless, the homeless crisis. And uh, obviously every city has a giant homeless crisis with this pandemic because so many people became, you know, they just lost their houses, they lost their apartments, they lost their jobs, they have no income. And then you got people that have mental health problems and got... Uh, hooked on drugs and the amount of people on the streets in every city. Like I was watching a video on Hawaii the other day and uh, you know, I think of Hawaii, I think of beaches and no, all these tents everywhere. It's, and the guy was joking around. It was a guy from Hawaii that was like, uh, you know, uh, you know, like joking around about people taking their vacation. Well, finally the pandemic's broke. Let's go to Hawaii. And he shows all these tents lined up on the street and they're like, what the fuck? But that, that's everywhere. It's not just San Francisco. It's not just Los Angeles. But some places handle it better than other places. And Los Angeles does a well. San Francisco does the worst job. San Francisco is incredibly bad. It's so bad that people and companies are moving out of San Francisco in in just in mass because so many people are getting assaulted. Elon told me twelve of his friends have been mugged in San Francisco. Really? Yeah, twelve. Holy smokes! Yeah, assaulted you know, uh, attacked on the streets. It's just, there's so many unstable, insane people, you know, mentally ill people that are on the street. It's just, just terrible, terrible place to be. Yeah. That would be horrible. Plus, yeah. plus they're, they're isolating, which I would too. I wouldn't, if I was homeless, Iowa probably wouldn't like I would head, I would head to text yeah. to Austin pretty, yeah. pretty dang quick. Well, a lot of people got super surprised when that big freeze came here and it <laughs> snowed for a week and froze everything up and closed the roads down. They're like, hey, I thought we were in Texas. The, the move is to California. Like yeah. Los Angeles never gets cold. That's the move. Yeah. That's why there's 20 million people in the city, though. Because it's, you know, the idea was that the, the traffic and the weather, the, the weather rather was perfect. Well, I can tell you, Iowa during there was probably I would say three three weeks to a month this year where it was it was so cold that even I was like I'm getting out of here. You should get out of there. <laughs> Everybody says that you're just there for deer. It's ridiculous. <laughs> we have a good HQ right there. <laughs> I know it's you awesome. Do. We got good people and yeah, get them to move. Harry's got <laughs> Harry's got another year. He's going to be a super senior now. A super senior. I, well, that's what, what I'm calling senior? it. Well, because of COVID last year and they didn't have like that second semester oh. um, with his school, they actually offered to come back for free tuition for an extra year. Oh, and then wow. also a free red shirt year. Oh. So he's going to be able to run one more year and then he's going to be able to double major. So mm -hmm. he'll have, he'll have two degrees and then he'll also be able to, you know, to run another year, which oh, is awesome. Cause he's, he's freaking just, he's hit this new gear. 
Dude, that kid grew like a beanstalk. Mm-hmm. Like I saw him one year, he was shorter than me. I saw him one year, he was taller than me. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> he's, all- he's he's grown his hair out. Like I it's know. it's almost as long as Bert's beard now. I mean, it's it's getting so long. I personally think it suits him. Sharon still has the picture of him when he's like a all baby. Fit, yeah, yeah, fit and tidy and everything like that. <laughs> and I'm kind of I'm just looking at him like, dude. Be yourself. You're, yeah, you're freaking playing it right now. Get yeah. after it. Yeah, he's being himself. Early 20s, I had way worse things than long hair going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. He's a great guy, though. You raised a great son. What were you doing when you were 21? Fighting. Is that when that was? Yeah, yeah. When I, from when I was 15 to 21, that's all I was doing. Did you? What was your job? Teaching martial arts. So you worked at the... You worked... I taught at Boston University. I used to teach. Uh, I had a, a I class that I was teaching there. It was actually a accredited course, so, so it was like you get points towards your GPA. It was pass fail A, and so I told everybody in the class. I said, "Listen, I'm not expecting you to be good. I just want you to show up. Mm-hmm. Just show up and try. And you get an A, and I go and it counts towards your GPA. I'm guaranteeing all of you if you just show up and try, you get an A. So this is real. Like yeah. this will count towards your GPA. So come here." And just try hard. That's all you have to do. And if you can't make it, just tell me why you can't make it. Here's my phone number. Call me. Tell me you can't make it, and I'll and I'll mark you as present. I go. It's fine. I go. I don't want just 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 try. And so I did that for a few years. I taught there. I had my own school in Revere, uh, which is a suburb of Massachusetts, in a suburb of Boston. I taught there, and uh, I also delivered newspapers because it wasn't really a lot of money in teaching. So I delivered newspapers in the morning. What was the first? Uh did you have a lot of fallout, even though that that's what you told people no, for the protocol? No, pretty remarkable how, f- that's how cool. few people quit. Because, it, first of all, it was good. And part of what I would do is I would, uh, I would start off the class with a demonstration. So, like, I would have someone, like, hold a kicky shield, and then I would send them flying. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and then they'd be like, holy shit. Because, you know, I'm not a big person. And especially then, I was only, like, 160 pounds back then. And so I would, uh, I would have, you know, someone like hold the pads and I would do all this. And I was so fast. I would do this wild shit. And I'd be like, I could teach you guys how to do this. And they'd be like, fuck, yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of them were my age, too, because I was teaching from age 19 to 21. Oh. So, like, they were basically my age. And I was, I was telling them, like, I'm going to show you what I know. And, I, you know, I got my black belt in just a couple of years. If you dedicate yourself, you could literally do everything that I'm doing. Did, um, did anyone ever come back later in life and be like, hey, man, I was in, in your class? I became friends with uh, a couple people from that, there. Then that I, kept going? Yeah, I, yeah, and I stayed in touch with them like through email and stuff. I lost touch with them over the years, but yeah, there was a few people like that. When was the first time you ever did archery? Well, the first time, it was uh, more than 10 years ago because, no, more than 12 years ago. Because uh, it was just me and my wife and my older daughter. And we were, I think we are just bored. <laughs> and we are like, let's try something different. Like, you want to try archery? And I think we went to a store. I remember we went to a store. The guy at the store, like, they had like a 10-yard target. And they, they didn't sight it in. And they didn't, they didn't set us up for the right draw length. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, it was kind of half-assed. Yeah. But we, we all got bows. And then we got a target for the backyard. I remember I got this rubber pig and I had it set up there and 
Still call him rubber. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was like, uh, you know, I had like a 60 pound bow or something like that. I think it was, but it was a compound for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm trying to remember what, what brand it was. Might've been a bow tech. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember though, but you know, it was, I practiced for a little bit. I shot some arrows like a few days, mm-hmm. like two or three days. And then I kind of like let it sit for a while. And then, um, I don't know. I guess the second time was Cam coming on my podcast. Cause Cam came on my podcast and he brought me a new Hoyt. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, he, we went out in my backyard and we practiced and then, um, like watching him shoot and seeing the difference. I was like, oh, that's it. See, it's when yeah, you watch someone. Yeah, yeah, when you watch someone who's really good at something, anytime you watch someone that is obsessed with something and who's really dedicated to something, you're like, oh, oh, okay, now I get it. Because before, it was just me and my daughter and my wife, and we're just like shooting at a yeah. bag. Yeah, that or, plays right into what we did, said at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. You all of a sudden saw someone that was at the level where you know, oh, okay. Yeah. Kind of like when you would start your classes and mm-hmm. freaking do some crazy shit on the pads. Yeah, basically the same kind of thing. <laughs> you realize like there's there's something that you probably didn't know that there was a level of excellence that uh, someone had acquired in something like archery. Like I really wasn't aware of like the level. I didn't watch videos of, you know, archers, like top archers in competition. I didn't, I didn't know. So when I saw Cam and like we set up a target like 60 yards away and he's like center punching, I was like, whoa, you can hit that from so far away. <laughs> or like, you know, like if I had saw you yesterday, like when you're shooting that target, you, you know, you're hitting d- dead in the cluster at 100 yards. I would have thought that's not possible. Like you yeah. can be that accurate at 100 yards. And uh, also Cam had a bow that I was obsessed with. That was a 90 pound bow. And I was like, this is crazy. It's 90 pounds to pull this thing back. And I remember I could only pull it back like a few times. Then I got exhausted. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I realized, like, oh, this is a totally different way of using muscles, too. Like, to pull a bow back, it's a weird way of, you know, using muscles. Yeah. And it's always funny to me, people that are just giant bodybuilder dudes to where when they get it and they yeah. go to rip it back, you know, they. I've had guys that were just tanks that could not figure out the coordination yeah you know to get it back and you can see it they have like rage in their eyes that you can do it it's like that (laughs) it's like um when guys can't pick up those freaking dumbbells off the ground those big ass strong man ones have you tried one of those (laughs) those things are huge yeah I have a Rob Kearney on my podcast before and Robert Oberst. Both those guys are strong men. Yeah, I and talked they, to Oberst last week. He wants to get into archery. He's so big. Yeah. <laughs> so we were um, we were kind of, you know, sitting there talking. And then when he went to shake my hand, I, I said, did you break your thumbs? You know, and he said, well, what do you mean? And I kind of grabbed, I go, can I, <laughs> I go, is it weird if I grab your hand? Did you see the freaking the swole meat. patrol on yeah. his, between his thumbs? Yeah. It looked like pecs yeah. between his freaking thumbs. And I'm like, why are, dude? And I felt them. And I mean, they're hard as a rock. And he said, 
he really has to work his thumbs because everything he's having to do, it's squeeze. Mm -hmm. It's not just the weight of, it's the ability to to grab it to then move it. Yeah, he would be amazing at jujitsu. He'd have incredible wrist control. Grab a hold of your wrist, you ain't getting loose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he grabbed a hold of anything, you're not coming out. He's that guy's so big. Even his head is big. Like his head is as big as my like as wide as my shoulders. Yeah. He, and he's tiny when you compare him to like that mountain guy. Yeah. The mountain from Game of Thrones. Like that that guy's preposterous. Yeah. Like you see him stand next to people like, What are you? What planet are you from? Where'd they grow you? <laughs> I showed Sharon a picture of we, somehow we were talking about the mountain and uh, I showed her, I said, have you seen his wife? I said, have you seen the two of them together? Cause I think I saw him on a red carpet somewhere and she goes, no. And I, I showed her and she just kind of had this look like, how's that work? <laughs> <laughs> how's that fit? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy. That, that whole strong man world is really interesting because those guys, they're so, so strong. It's so ridiculous when you see them do those overhead log presses. And yeah. And you just go, Jesus. Well, I've been at, I've been at the Arnold um, a few times. And, like, if you have, like, a VIP thing, you get to kind of go behind stage. And they have all that stuff staged up. So you can just try to do it. And, <laughs> How many people and, die? Trying to pick those things up and drop them on their head. Well, I think if people could actually grab it and get it up, they would probably there'd probably be a lot more. But it's it's like Excalibur. Oh right. Yeah, I mean, there's it's like Thor's hammer laying on the ground. It, you know, people walk <laughs> up and you can you can see everyone that's backstage just kind of like look around and walk over to it and just grab it and then just start freaking pushing with their legs as hard as they can. It doesn't even roll. It's just like it's just like glued to the ground. It's an interesting thing to get really good at picking up heavy things, like that that you become fascinated with carrying the most weight picking the most weight up because there's a whole world of it of these guys that are just completely obsessed with numbers like how much you can squat how much you can deadlift and and you know they're constantly trying to bring it to the next level how about those dudes that just tear a whole deck of car a thumb hole out of a whole deck of cards like to me <laughs> and to me to be able to do that it's like what the hell yeah no, i mean if they grabbed thing. you they could just tear part of your hand off your hand. <laughs> Probably rip a finger right off. There was, um, at Sornex, there's just the coolest relics. When I went there, I just, like Bert was surprised. I just dorked out in the lobby of all the relics that his dad's kept. And obviously his old man has seen so many strong men, right, over the years. And I mean, there's there's people that would, that have like pounded freaking nails like with their hands through stuff. It's insane. It's it's crazy. The decks of cards, the freaking phone books torn in half, like all these relics is pretty cool. There's a guy who's an old time wrestler named Farmer Burns, and he used to do a what it's called a hangman's drop, where he used to put a, a noose around his neck and he would drop from six feet and and just by his neck strength break the rope. No, just hang there. Like a like a crazy pit bull. Well, hey, Dean Lister could probably do that. He probably could. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's got that. 
it's not really a neck, right? Yeah. It's kind of, it's just a chin and eyeballs above the shoulders. Yeah, it's like his neck starts at the top of his head. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes straight down to yeah, the sides of his shoulders. Yeah, it yeah. might just go all the way up. What was your favorite archery shot of all time? The one that when you think about it, you're like, God, that just everything about that you remember. Well, it's, it, ha- it would have to be on an animal because that's like where it's the most pressure. Yeah. You know, probably the best one is the one that I shot with Cam at the Deseret because we got it on film, you know, and Cam was behind me filming. It was just 67 oh, yards you're talking right in the money. Two years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. With the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yep. that, that one was, that was pretty good. That one was money. Uh, the one with that one with with me was money. That was money. Yeah, <laughs> seventy five yards right in the heart. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy too because that elk walked like four feet and fell over. You know what's nuts is you probably have the biggest streak in Utah of making like baller shots because there's there's legit people that are in there like super legit dead accurate hunters that go. Uh, that go up there and every year you come back with something spectacular. I've been lucky. And well, you're, (laughs) dude, you're, you're the person that it doesn't matter what it is. You want to shoot. If it's old enough, you want to shoot. You just don't care. Yeah. I don't care. I'm not like trying to get the biggest, baddest trophy or anything like that. I'm, I'm just there for experience and meat. (laughs) You know, I love elk meat. And, uh, and if it's a shot, it's a mature animal and I got a green light, like it's going, I'm sending it. That's what you were like at my house for whitetails. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, you're like, is it mature? I go, yeah, but it's totally busted up. You're like, he's a fighter. I love fighters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't care if the antlers are busted. I kind of like it. I don't mind. Like if I have one on the wall and the antlers are all cracked off, I don't, that doesn't bother me at all. It's to me, it, it, it has, I'm not there just for the antlers. I just, yeah. Yeah. And, and I kind of like the fact that the antlers are broken. Yeah. Well, the one you shot last year was, was he a little, was he busted on one side or something? Um, at Deseret? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. I have him at the studio. I'll go look at it. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have that one. Or do I have this year's at the studio? I forget. I'm not sure. Well, I can tell you this. One of the things I miss most about the whole COVID operation was the axis. Mm. Because that was such good prep. Yeah. For, you know, for... That was just really good prep. The timing was always good. Like June was such a good yeah. time to kind of, if you went down there and, and did some stocks and got an axis, you came home and it seemed like the practice between July and August was really seamless to lead into season. Yeah. It was like perfect. Well, it was also axis are so hard to hunt with a bow. When we went there last time, and then we talked to Alec, and mm-hmm. he was telling us that 150 hunters had come down, and That's only right. one had been successful with a bow. Everyone else had just pulled out a rifle and be like, screw this. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, these, things, these things are ninjas. Yeah. But, you know, our crew. Well, it was like, me, you, and Cam, right? Yeah. And, you know, we had been successful there 
every year. Every 100%. year you've been there, hundred percent. You know, and you, I mean, you shot multiple animals in a day, and and so did Cam. Cam had shot at least on two occasions, shot more than one axis in a day. Yeah, you know? we kind of got we we pretty much filled up and then had beach time. Yeah, well, it's just it's an amazing place where you could go and you could hunt an animal that first of all is insanely difficult to hunt and they're so plentiful there's so many of them you would assume oh this is easy pickings but it's literally one of the hardest animals on the planet to bow hunt they're the most delicious well maybe not the most i still prefer elk but it's right there it's slightly different but so good yeah and then you get to hang out in paradise like (laughs) And then you have these great restaurants and every, and you can bring your family and everybody can hang out at the beach. It's like a really amazing place. I haven't ate one thing in Hawaii yet that was bad. No. And honestly, I've been surprised by the small little places that are restaurants at how awesome the food is there. It's been like ridiculous how good it is. Yeah. No, uh, they're, they're known for their food. And then Lanai is an un- a really unusual place because there's only 3,000 people on the entire island. And Larry Ellison owns the whole island, which is really nuts. And the fact that, you know, the, that whole Pineapple Brothers organization has access to so much land. And when you scan the fields and you look out there and you, you look at you, well, your binos, you're like, what? When you really start looking. Yeah. And you, you see kind of have to train your deer. eye to it. Once yeah. your eye gets trained to what you're looking for, you're just like, there's, oh, there's one. Yeah, that, I can see those. Wait a minute. Yeah. The reason I didn't see it is because it's all... It's the, it's all axis. Yeah. But they just blend together to where you think you're just looking at like red bushes. It's red backs with yeah. bushes in between them all. It's is crazy. really what it what it is. Well, they think there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 deer on this little island, which is so crazy. Well, Remy reached out to both of us and showed us what it's like now and I had someone else go um a buddy of mine that actually shot the tack went about two weeks ago and it was i mean imagine a year of people not being able to be there getting after it oh my god i mean it's insane it It must be yeah i mean everything it's just stuff just moves maybe we can get in there (laughs) what's what's it now april yep may june maybe we can get there in june who knows probably things are kind of opening up I think the way they they have it now, you have to have a negative test or something like that like Pro, right yeah, before you yeah. land. Well, I'm worried that they're going to start, everyone's going to have to be vaccinated. That's that's a worry because uh, that's how it is uh, in the Bahamas and stuff now. Yeah. Like you have to have proof of vaccination before you land. And then they test you before you leave? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with that. Yeah, we looked at it and they said pretty much they're guaranteeing you know, if you're there, they test you and, it, you know, and they're saying if you get it while you're there, because I think they test you before you fly, then they'll guarantee that you have a place to stay in oh. order to like get through your quarantine. Most of the bigger resorts. Mm. But I kind of asked Sharon, like, I wonder where this housing unit is where they guarantee you to stay. You yeah. Know? Next thing you know, you're like back in the garden shed at Four Seasons. Yeah. Back behind all the palm leaves and stuff in the freaking pump house <laughs> you're in a hammock <laughs> or a fan it still wouldn't be that bad wouldn't be that bad it's i mean still honestly it'd still be solid yeah well dude i gave you i gave you the most powerful bow i've ever built 
<laughs> that boat's so ridiculous. Yep. Well, we were shooting it yesterday. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, so Joe wanted to know what it was like to just have the beast of all beasts. So I, I got you a the hardest hitting thing I've ever built. And I've built some big ones for dangerous game for myself. And even with my draw length being so much longer, but Kong (laughs) is 95 pounds. It's shooting a 300 and right now it's a 350 grain. We've got a loaded, um, 260 axis, but we're also going to try it with It's 550 grains. Yeah. What'd I say? You said 350 grains. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking, thinking speed. Of 350 feet per second at 550 <laughs> grains. Yeah. Which it's, is, it's probably in that range. I think it might even be higher just based on the fact that for those of you listening who use a spot hog scale, um, he's on scale number 32 which is I think like two or three from the from the end of the fastest scales there are. I mean, you're on a two pin site, the top pin's twenty yards, the bottom pin's forty one. That's so nuts. <laughs> That's so nuts. And again, we're talking about a five hundred and fifty grain arrow and only a twenty eight and a half inch draw length. Yeah, I wanted something that was just laser beam fat. I mean, you it were hits hard. It yesterday, it hits hard too. It's so flat. That's what's crazy. Like, there's no like. Usually, when you see someone shoot, it's like, shoop. yeah, it's like an arc. You know, there was no arc. It was just, and it's totally dead in the hand. Yeah, honestly, it felt awesome. It seemed. I feel like when heavy, the heavier you get the bows, especially if it's a good one. It's almost like that extra tension makes it more, it, it like stops any oscillation at mm. all. It's just like. And also the heavy weight of the arrow, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That'll absorb energy. Do you think we're going to sure. keep it? At, you were talking about jacking it up to 600 grains. Yeah. I think we could definitely, when the new FMJs come out or the, when I, when I finally get some match grade 250 FMJs, we could definitely shoot those through it as well. But there's kind of a trade-off, you know, are you going to, are you wanting to shoot something at distance? If so, I like, I like the axis just for that freaking speed is insane, mm, but it's still know. a heavy arrow too. But if you want to go like, get like a Buffalo or something, right. <laughs> well, Lo- load up an FMJ and just full send. If green tree ever talks us into going to Australia, shooting one of those ridiculous things. I want to, I want like a bison. Yeah. I've never shot a bison. I want well, a bison. We could do that here. You could shoot oh. a zebra here. <laughs> People have asked me to go zebra hunting here. I'm like, what are you saying? <laughs> a friend, this is how crazy Texas is. A friend of mine was driving down the highway. He goes, dude, I just saw a zebra. A zebra on the side of the highway, just chilling. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, I must have got out. Someone, someone had a zebra. Like, they have zebras out here. So Tony came out, Hinchcliffe. He had a show last night. He was like, he he said, we, he's like, you know, you guys should come. But uh, he's got to be getting some freaking hilarious material being around a bunch of Texans and seeing stuff like a zebra crossing the street. Yeah. Are the comics that have moved out here, are they getting, because you get to hear it. Are they getting some good material that's kind of. 
Well, they're loving it out here. Like, cause they're, I, I, was, I tried to tell them, I said, listen, we are wasting our time in Hollywood. There's no reason for us to be there because we're all surrounded by the TV and movie industry. And the reality is most of us don't want to have any part of that anymore. We really want to do just stand up and podcasts. Yeah. That's our industry. So yeah. we have our own business. We don't need that world anymore. Yeah. And so when I moved out here and I told all these people that they all just started moving here and then we started doing all these shows together out here and they realized, first of all, the audiences are super appreciative. Mm-hmm. Everybody's really friendly. The food here is amazing. Yeah. It's way less traffic and it's just, Texas is fun. It's like a fun place and Austin in particular is like very artistic. There's like a lot of great things about it and then you've got the, the craziness. Like it's so easy to get a gun. You know, it's like, it's, it's like everybody has one in, in people are like real accustomed to people shooting guns. Like, especially if you get outside of the city, like a lot of my friends, they moved out like, you know, half hour, 40 minutes from here. Cause mm-hmm. Real estate's a lot cheaper and, you know, and they, they got backyards where you can shoot guns in them. Yeah. You know, like I can shoot guns in my backyard. This is crazy. Like you'd have steel targets out in the backyard and you hear in the distance, like when you're out there, you hear bang, bang. Bang, bang, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> There's people out there shooting steel. I'll tell you one thing Texas does awesome is gates. Because, like, the, f- the fencing company is on another level here. Because every ranch is pretty much fenced. Or if it's not, the ranches next to it are. But the amount of the, the freaking cool gates there are, mm-hmm. you know, like, every neighborhood entrance has some freaking awesome gate system. You know, in we in Iowa, I've got like a steel chain, and I get out and like swing it open. Right. Or, or there's like a rinky dink one that kind of like, yeah. And the whole, you know, your your half-ass gate is bouncing along. No, they're accustomed to fences out here. They lost a lot of animals during the freeze. I know. I didn't talk to you about that. I've I've heard um, Axis and like the Neil guy. Mm-hmm. Axis in particular, apparently. Uh, because they're smaller, you know, there's uh, uh, a ranch out here where they were finding piles of axes on top of each other. We're trying to keep each other warm. 60 of them frozen to death. Yeah. Yeah. They, one guy lost 2,000 axes to here on his ranch. Where at? Out here. I, I mean, somewhere cl- out here. close by. Yeah. 2,000 dead, frozen solid. It was so cold this year where we were. I found, I found four deer, like, pretty all the carcasses were pretty much on top of each other mm. i didn't find them like right when they were dead but i was out doing some farming and i saw them and it's like man they all you could tell where they had like huddled up to try to stay warm is there anything you could do about that like is there a way that you could have like a, a barn and like have a heated barn and let the deer know about it <laughs> like, hey guys come on in here and chill i think like out in colorado and stuff like that and montana once it gets super cold, a lot of those deer and stuff just really like pile into people's yards. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of the videos we see where they're just elk walking down the roads and stuff, they're just like getting the hell out of all that stuff. Well, in some of those places, they, they'll set out hay for animals. They'll, 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 because they know the winter is really rough on them and it's, it's hard for them to find food and, you know, to keep a layer of fat keep them a little warmer at least they'll set out just giant bales of hay and set it out places and then people get real worried about that because uh that's how cwd gets spread if these all these animals are feeding off of the same Mm -hmm. bales of hay in the middle of of the field 
Well, that's where, yeah, that's what's hard. And that's kind of one of the, that's one of the baiting arguments, right? Mm -hmm. Like is when animals go to winter, they're all consolidated on food sources anyway, super consolidated, you know, and they're, they're all like right there, you know, like if there's a cob of corn hanging off, you know, hanging out in a cornfield and several deer sitting there eating on it at one time. I mean, kind of the same thing's happening. Mm. It's, it's really strange. I know it's a sore subject, especially with, especially with the people that are really trying to fight CWD and, and stuff like that. But, um, deer are just very social. I mean, when you watch them, they walk up to each other. They, you know, they sniff each other's butts. They, you know, sometimes they groom each other and they lick each other. I mean, you know, they'll rub their eyes on a, on a branch and the other one will go over there and smell it and rub his on there. I mean, that's just what they do. So it's, it kind of, I guess you're reducing the opportunity for, for that mixture by not having like bait piles, but I've kind of feel like they do it, you know, I think they do it, but I do think that it's reduced if you don't bait if you I guess it's like COVID out there, but the know. baiting thing is also like a sportsman issue, right? Whether it's sporting, yeah, bait. You know, it's when people get busted baiting in places where you can't bait. It's a particularly shameful thing to get caught doing. You know, it's like if you if you're in a place like Texas that allows baiting, like you have a feeder, people out here. Like uh, I've looked at some ranches that are for sale out here. Mm-hmm. And some of them are like 300 acres and they have four feeders. And so it's a small piece of property relatively. And they have feeders set up and deer just uh, hang out around the feeder and wait to be fed. And people have a tree stand that's, uh, you know, not that far from there. And they just set up shop. And a lot of it is with rifles. So it's, they're basically, it's like a little more complicated grocery shopping, you know, like you have to shoot the animal and then, you know, but it's right there. It's not, you're not hunting. Yeah. You're just waiting, you know, and it's totally legal here. It's fine. Now, if you try to do the exact same thing in a place like California, you go to jail, you know, it's, which is interesting. It's like, how strict are they out there? It's pretty strict. Um, people have been busted by, uh, putting stuff on the ground, you know, like like uh, something that uh, attracts them on the ground, like not even not even bait. Yeah, just like what mineral, is that like mineral deer deer and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a uh, it's a sporting thing, right? Like the the idea of hunting is that you are you're going after an animal and you're you, you're it's supposed to be fair chase. But then there's some places like where John and Jen are in Alberta where you basically have to bait yeah. if you want to hunt bear. Like yeah. There's really the, the opportunities to find them without baiting are so slim and the woods are so dense and so thick. You're not going to find them. Like, and the, the population needs to be controlled. So there's like in that situation. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a, like a fine line. And the other thing, too, is just being able to have being able to to shoot what's most mature and actually be able to really, you know, to really, um, focus on like shooting the right type of animal and, and taking that fully mature thing off and like, you know, still letting the whole ecosystem flow. Yeah. And also identifying clearly the difference between males and females, Yeah, which is hard to do with bears. Yeah. Yeah. If they put a cub up a tree, you've got to watch them for a while. 
yeah. to really make a sound decision yeah. for sure. Um, but with deer, the baiting, the baiting problem is not just that you're, it's not sportsmanlike is that you, you can be helping spread CWD. CWD is very scary because it hasn't jumped to people. Yeah. But uh, when I had um, Doug Duran and his friend Brian, I forget the guy's name, uh, but he was a biologist who ex- was explaining CWD and uh, how, what a real problem it is. Because there's some people that want to dismiss the dangers of CWD, and there's some people want to say, listen, is this, if this jumps to humans, yeah. this is a zombie apocalypse. Like This yeah. is a real, real issue. Because it's a prion disease, the same way mad cow disease is. Yeah. It's scary stuff. Yeah. And it hasn't jumped to humans yet, but I think it has jumped to, like, mice. Like, it's jumped to some mice. And they're worried that uh, it's, you know, things like that can, they can, something can happen to them. And they they can uh, evolve and change. Well, the scary thing is somewhere they've probably engineered it just to try to know how to fight it. Like, they've probably already... You think so? CWD? I don't think there's any money in that. That's why I don't think that's the case. But I think with things like anthrax and things like... Uh, like, that's one of Jack Carr's uh, subjects of his, his most recent book, is uh, I'm weaponized only a third of the way viruses. through it. Yeah, it is. I, I yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I am that far in. Yeah, yeah, I am that far in. Yeah, but that is... Uh, that's a real thing. Like, weaponized Ebola. And uh, we did a, a, a show back on sci-fi a few years back called Joe Rogan questions everything. And yeah. one of the things that we talked about was weaponized viruses and they were explaining how the Soviet union had trenches filled with anthrax, like a gigantic hole in the ground, literally that they had filled with anthrax. Damn. <laughs> yeah. It's scary stuff. Viruses and diseases. Like, like you think about COVID, like how many people are scared of COVID like, meanwhile, I know, I don't know how many people I know that got COVID. I only know two of them that got it bad, and they were really run down when they got it. And yeah. they, they don't take care of themselves. They don't take vitamins. They're not healthy. Everybody else I know that got it, it was not a deal. It was not a big deal at all. My kids got it. It was nothing. It was literally nothing. Other friends got it. Uh, my real estate lady, she got it. She didn't even know she had it. She had to get tested three times. She was well, I guess I have it. And then she she got her antibodies. She's got antibodies. But she, meanwhile, she felt zero. She felt yeah. nothing. But she's very fit, very healthy, eats really well. I know so many people where that's the case. And yet still, everybody was in a panic. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a 99.9 whatever percent survival rate. And everybody's in a panic. Imagine if something like Ebola or the yellow fever or the black plague or the Spanish flu hit where massive numbers of people are dying, how people would freak out then. Oh yeah. That would be a whole We freaked out over something that was basically exposed. It exposed, uh, problems with people's immune systems more than anything else. It wasn't that it was this unbelievably devastating disease. It was more that it caught people unhealthy. It caught, it caught them off guard when they're not, not doing well. Yeah. I think that's why it's so important. People start like really focusing on what, what they're consuming now. Yeah. It's, you know, convenience food that's convenient. just is horrible for you. And Most you don't, it, yeah. you don't really know until, until you're at the other side where you watch what you're eating all the time. And then you, ha- and then you go back to like eating something that's like that. And you just, 
your body doesn't know what to do with it. I had Action, Action Bronson on my podcast yesterday. Yeah. He's lost 130 pounds over the last year through COVID. 130 pounds. He's gone on this massive fitness journey. We worked out together yesterday at the Onnit Gym. The guy gets after it. It was amazing, amazing to watch him. I'm so happy. It made me so happy to see because I did a podcast with him a few years back when he was 300 plus pounds. And the difference between him then and the difference between him now is remarkable. He's got so much more energy. He looks better. He looks like... Or Chad Ward. Like, Chad Ward's yeah. lost how much pounds? He's lost close to 100 pounds, right? Yeah. Yeah, a ton. So same thing, kind of deal. Like, you see someone who's... And you know how hard that is to do. It's so hard to do. It yeah. makes me so happy yeah. when people do that, when they get it together and they, they get their fitness in order. And you realize, like, when you look at the numbers for COVID, 78% of the people in the ICU that have uh, COVID, 78% of the people that have uh, that either are dead or have uh, a bad result and really sick are overweight. Dang. 78%. It's Dang. crazy. Yeah, that's staggering. The number one factor. Well, dude, this was podcast 300 for me right now. Was it? Yep, 300. Oh, man. 300. How many have you and I done? At least four or five, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah. we've done quite a few. Yeah, normally it's post-hunt. Yeah, well, we'll have to do one post-hunt, and we'll do mine. Maybe we can <laughs> figure out a way to get to Hawaii, because Jack says it's open. Jack Carr, who's one of the Pineapple Brothers, he says it's open. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll have to get down there. I wonder if they'll, they're any easier. It's funny how we, we like refer to him, even Dubin, as like a Pineapple Brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they are. Dude, that's your one right here. Yeah, oh, that's oh, right. Kill Cliff kill can. Cliff. That's hilarious. There's your Pineapple Brother right there. I didn't you made think the, of that. Dude, you made the team. Yeah, I'm on the Pineapple team. Call one of these UFOs to beam us over to Lanai. Yeah, this Kill Cliff Lanai. Was my idea. Yeah. It's um, legit, dude. It is, right? Yeah. It's it's legit. We had these at uh, we had these at TAC, Total Archer Challenge. It was really good. Yeah. Well, we were um, we were thinking of what what would be a good flavor. And John and I were discussing it, and I said, "How about we do something that's pineapple and jalapeno?" And I'm like, "That is ridiculous." But like, yeah, well, that sounds like it might work though. Let's try like a spicy pineapple, and uh, this is what we came up with. He nailed it. They just uh, they texted me yesterday. With that bow auction that I did, like it's all the numbers are in and, and Killcliffe has officially raised over a million dollars for the Navy SEAL Foundation. Which That's was, incredible. Which is freaking so awesome. That's so incredible. Well, the company's killing it and this, uh, this particular flavor is the number one CBD drink in the world. Yeah, I don't doubt it. It's good. It's really good, right? Mm-hmm. But I was just thinking like, there's no spicy slash sweet beverage that you could just buy. Like, it doesn't exist. So, like, a pineapple jalapeno with CBD beverage. And we're doing an Ignite now, too. Oh, so, damn. So, they're going to have a, a jalapeno. So, um, I can get my drive on? Yes. My 16-hour exactly. <laughs> drive back to free. Back to the, it snowed yesterday. So, Dude, just move here. What are you doing? I don't know. I'm hoping I can see a house for sale as I pull out. There's a lot of houses for sale out here. But I just want to go a little further out where you can get a giant chunk of land with a bunch of animals on it. I'd have to be like you, though. I'd have to bring the whole team. Yeah, bring the whole team. To load them up. Yeah, but if you just have them come out here, they'd be like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like, what, what is this snow nonsense? When it snowed here, it was, it was cute. 
Like me <laughs> growing up cute. in Boston, I'm like, you guys call this snow? Like you could walk through this. <laughs> you know, growing up in Boston, I mean, there was days where it snowed. It was up to my waist you, where you can't open up the front door. You know that yeah. from oh, Iowa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where the front door is jammed with snow. You can't get out. You know, that is, uh, that's a different animal. This, this out is here. A dusting. It's dusting. It's nothing. And I took that Land Cruiser that I have, that Toyota Land Cruiser, mm-hmm. that uh, is, you know, full-time four-wheel drive, giant knobby tires. I drove right over everything. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was like, I'm, plus I'm so used to driving in, in snow. Like, being, uh, delivering newspapers when I was a kid, I drove in snow 365, well, anytime it's snow, I drove yeah. 365 days a year. And in Boston, it snowed, you know, four or five months out of the year, it was snowing. It's funny you did papers. I did papers. It's a great way to not have a boss. And when you had to have them on people's doors, the snow plows weren't out yet. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> did you have the bag? No. I was driving, and I had a bag hanging from my rearview mirror, and I had the windows rolled down and the heat blasting. And what I would do is I'd grab a newspaper, fold it, stuff it in the bag, throw it out the window. Oh, you did it on the go. On the go. Why well, had hundreds of houses? Oh, because I would prepack. Well, you were a kid. I was a. I was an adult. It was. A, I was a weird kind of paper boy. Like I, I'd, I'd prepack on my, you know, my bike. Same kind of bike, like Elliot drove around with an ET. In ET. Type. <laughs> <laughs> they used to have um, back in the day. They they used to have uh, people that you had to put it inside their door. That was a thing. Like some people wanted their 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 paper delivered inside the door, so you had to get out of the car. That those houses sucked. I didn't want those houses. I wanted the houses where you just dude. You'd be one of those houses right now. You'd be like, my paper's wet every day at the end of my driveway. You need to put that thing. Get out. Put it in the thing. People are lazy. Get out of your house. (laughs) Walk twenty feet and get your paper. What do you? How lazy are you? Want inside the door? Do you remember the the? uh, I think it was Atari. Remember that game called Paperboy? I where don't. you're, it's like it was like sixteen bit or whatever. Your dude's like pedaling the bike, and you had to like chuck the pa- try to. You'd get points if you could throw the paper into the box. Oh, but then you could also like smoke like the bullies or old ladies or whatever that were in the house. <laughs> <laughs> hit the there was dog. like there was like ramps on the sidewalk, so if you like hit the ramp, you got like bonus points. Oh. Well, for me, it was a great job because uh, I didn't have to talk to anybody. I would just go pick up my papers in the morning, and I knew what to do, so I didn't really have a... I had a, a dispatch that I had to answer to, but I didn't really have a boss, so it was great. I could just listen to the radio, drive around, drink coffee, throw papers out the window, and a lot of times, that's when I came up with my best jokes, too, when I was doing stand-up. Probably. Yeah, because you, you have these good ideas where you're by yourself for hours at a time. Just I think thinking. you would come up with really good bits if you were forced to be a whitetail hunter for a month, and you were in, in the tree with just, like, total boredom, where you just had to start thinking about stuff, and then you just got... Because there comes a point where you just get silly, and you start laughing at yourself, where you start just talking out loud, or... Well, I've only done that once with you, where we were tree stand hunting, and we definitely got silly. <laughs> we got really... It gets ridiculous, because you're sitting there for five hours, just sitting there. Five hours. Six no, hours. that's when you got to five. That's when you're like, we got to get out of here. Well, the one time, <laughs> one time I got down, and it's it's so frustrating. But the one time I'm like, dude, let's just bail. Let's go get some something. To eat. And as I got to the bottom of the tree, that deer came by. 
and looked me right in the eye. I'll never forget that deer looking at me. Three. Three deer. But that old red, that red one freaking was locked on you. And I had the best view. I was at the top of the tree still looking down. And you were hiding behind the tree, and you could just see your shiny head, like, peek out to the right side. And that buck would just, like, lean to the right, look at you, and then you'd, like, come around this way. <laughs> and he'd just come around, and you, you guys were just locked. When he looked at me in the eye, I was like, wow, there's a intensity to this deer's <laughs> eyes. It's so different. It's just uh, whitetails are different. They're different than elk. They're different. Like when elk look at you, there's definitely like a fear in their eyes, but it's a different kind of fear than a deer, a white-tailed deer. They look at you like their eyes open up wide and they get crazy. And then they, and then they're hauling ass. We probably thought you were Bigfoot, dude. You were dressed in camo. You look like a freaking silverback gorilla walking around. (laughs) (laughs) He probably, cause he did, his eyes got really big and he was staring at you like, what is that thing? A face paint on. (laughs) I know. Oh deal. Yeah. They probably, what do they think you are? I think they just think you're death. You know, (laughs) whatever you are, you're death. You, You represent, They've probably seen hunters before. They've probably seen you. Well, what's interesting about your situation in Iowa, which is pretty magical, is that there's hundreds and hundreds of acres, but there's only a tiny amount of people that ever hunt it. And it's only archery. So, like, they they probably don't even understand what's going on. It's like all of a sudden, Bobby's down. Bobby's bleeding. He's got a hole in his heart. Like, what the hell happened? It might be ruthless, but sneak attack is is my battle plan. Yeah. Just, I'm going to... I'm going to give you food and I'm going to drive past you and, and I won't like stare at you and I'm just going to keep going. But one day, one day you're going to get jacked one day when your (laughs) antlers grow large enough that you're on the hit list. Yeah. Yep. Well, when you post those post those pictures on your Instagram page, like with Daywalker, you call them Daywalkers. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you see them, that they're out. When that, yeah, because I just I wait for that one picture of of a buck that you can clearly see is like the ruler of the roost, mm-hmm. and he finally has flipped a switch to where he's not fully nocturnal, and once. Once that zombie is out on the prowl, <laughs> you have you have but a few days for the entire year where he's where he's dumb and he's just horny. It's just hilarious when I try to explain to people the reason why you live in Iowa. You live in Iowa just for deer hunting. They're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's that's why he lives there." I have two because there there's massive deer there. I have two like super awkward conversations that are constant what I do for a living and you know, and why I live in Iowa. (laughs) Those are the two things where you have to explain to someone you shoot a bow and then, you know, and then, Oh, where do you live? Iowa. And then it's just like, why do you live there? I like to kill big deer. And then if you say that, then, (laughs) then it just keeps getting more awkward, especially if it's someone that, you know, doesn't know. Like if I had to explain that to Tony Hinchcliffe, like five years ago before he like knew any bow hunters he would be like like, wait what (laughs) yeah yeah you live there just for deer hunting you know you can visit and deer hunt there yeah yeah they wouldn't get it i don't think people who are right i think people if they really went with you on a whitetail hunt they would have a completely different idea of what deer hunting is i think so many people think of deer hunting like you know there's been so many stereotypes in movies about deer hunters yeah, and it's usually like drunks and assholes, and they're out there, and they're usually poaching, or they're doing something stupid that they're not supposed to do. They're never crafty, 
well thought out. They're never checking the wind and looking at the moon cycle and making sure that the the pat the wind is right and they're they're on this place that they haven't been visiting, so they haven't had scent on the ground. They're getting in early on electric bikes so that the deer don't smell their footprints and all the stuff that you do. Like they'd be like, whoa, <laughs> they would have no idea. Yeah. And then when they find out like how much practice is involved in archery just to achieve that one shot on a mature animal, they'd be like, I had no idea. That's why it's so rewarding. That's yeah. why you and I are hooked. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool, bro. Well, I've got to hit the road. Thank you, my friend. You're my man. Always good to see you, yeah, brother. I've missed you a ton. I miss you too. COVID sucked for Come seeing on, man. friends. Come move here. Come move here. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.